good morning. Uh, it is wonderful to see everybody. Hopefully, uh, anybody else been like sick recently? I feel like everybody has been. So I sound like Darth Vader today, a little bit. So just bear with me as I work through that. We are taking a brief break from Hebrews to talk about a conversation that I would kind of just assume or, you know, rightly so probably that most of us in this room have had on our minds, and it's concerning what the Bible says about the end of the age, the end of the world. Um, I've got a lot of emails and reach outs and phone calls from you guys wanting to have conversations about it. Uh, just a simple Google search of the phrase, is Jesus coming back soon? Uh, you will find just innumerable fresh sermons, fresh you know, videos on YouTube, uh, video after video after video, article after article. Sometimes these videos having just millions of views within just a month, right? It is very obvious that um, this is a conversation people are very kind of hyper-interested in right now. And so, um, especially just in light of the Middle East and things happening, this conversation has kind of sparked once again and kind of reached another peak of heightened curiosity. Is this really, is this the end? Is Jesus really about to come back? And so, just so you understand my heart with this is I love the Bible, um, one of my favorite Bible teachers used to say, you know, I dare you to bore me with a Bible, right? This is a fascinating book. It really, truly is. And if anything with, you know, those of us who preach here, you know, we want at minimum just to spark your curiosity about God's word here and just find yourself interested and curious and digging into it about what he has to speak to us through his spirit, through these words. And the Bible has a lot to say about this conversation about the end times, about the end of the days. And so my goal this morning is to equip you, equip you with learning to navigate those passages kind of on your own. And so there's going to be like a two-tiered kind of, you know, part of our sermon today. The first part is going to be some teaching ended by some preaching, okay? There's a difference. You know, teaching is kind of a little more of an equipping of learning and then followed by some exhorting, preaching, challenging us on how do we respond to these things. So the title of this, uh, today's special sermon is, is uh, Be Ready But Not Alarmed. Be ready but not alarmed. That's from the very words of Jesus, okay? So what he literally said. And so we're going to, to look into this in Matthew 24. We're looking at a ton of scripture this morning. We're only scratching the surface, but I hope this will be a meaningful time for us. So if you have a Bible, um, the Red Pew Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 981. We're gonna be going through most of Matthew chapter 24, which is a very famous kind of, one of the longest teachings we have of Jesus actually. Um, and it's about, the end times, and about other things too. It's fascinating. So, hope you guys are ready. You guys ready? We awake this morning? Here we go. It's great. All right, here we go. Verse 1. This is the word of the Lord beginning in Matthew 24. Okay, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all of these things? He asked, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So where are we jumping into? What's happening here? 
okay? This is Jesus and his disciples. They were walking around the ancient temple in Jerusalem that Herod had built. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world. And it's hard for us because this temple has been long gone, but to just imagine what this would be like. So this, this, I have some pictures behind us. I brought pictures today. Anybody like pictures when they read books and stuff? There you go. I got pictures today. So this is a, a artist kind of you know, image here. This complex was huge. It was 1,600 feet long and about 1,000 feet wide. One of the pictures here shows a grand staircase that was on one of the corners of the complex. And just to see the size of the people and the size of the staircase, all made of stone. Um, It truly was a remarkable feat of engineering, but it took about 80 years to build. 80 years to build. This was the absolute center of the nation of Israel, of their faith, of all the economic activity. To, to, to underscore the importance of this, it's really hard to do. Uh, this was where God's presence was, and even more so for the ancient Jewish people, they understood this was like the very center of the cosmos itself. Like this was the place. This was the place. And they were showing Jesus this impressiveness. Like, are you impressed, Jesus? Look at how beautiful this building is. And he's like, yeah. It's about to be torn down. Now, I mean, seriously, you would have been, if you were alive then, utterly shocked. Like, what are you talking about? It would have been similar if it was, you know, say July in year 2001 and you were in Manhattan beneath the Twin Towers and somebody said, yeah, they're about to be gone. You'd been like, no, impossible. Look at their 110 stories up. There's no way these are going anywhere. That's what the feeling would have been when Jesus said what he said. It would have been unthinkable, but it happened. The picture, the modern picture, you can still see the square because um, the temple was destroyed, but the base is still there. You can still see its size. Even today, you can walk among the same stones that Jesus did. But all the buildings, we'll talk about it, they were destroyed. So in saying this, as they heard this, okay, there's a question followed naturally. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Okay, like a little side, little side convo here. They said, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? So in their minds, if this thing is destroyed, it must be the end. Like this must be the end of all things if this building is going out here. So when's all this happening? They couldn't even separate those two things and they couldn't fathom a world without the temple. So they said, if this is going away, then, you know, when's the whole shindig happening? Jesus, like, tell us. So remember that behind this conversation, there's there's multiple things. There's like real historical events and other things that have not really happened yet. And we're going to navigate that very fascinating thing about Jesus's talk here. So in verse four, he says this, this is how he answered. He says, first, he says, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. So the year here is about 30 or 33-ish AD, depending on what smart scholar person you talk to. And the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Okay, so about 40-ish years after Christ, um, there was a guy named Josephus, and he was one of the few people who actually wrote a history of this. There was a war that was about four years long from 66 to 70 AD when the Romans invaded, um, took over Israel, and destroyed everything. We'll get to that in a minute here. But he, he wrote a lot of the history about this time. And so Jesus spoke this, and within the next 40 years, Josephus actually names, I won't read through all of these, but he, he lists in great detail in his history books, um, 
seven different movements led by people who were saying, I am the Christ. Sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people would gather around these leaders and poof, nothing would happen, okay? And there's even more that he didn't name. And so Jesus, by telling his disciples, look, these things are coming soon, but first, like, be careful. Don't be deceived. And he was telling the truth because a lot of people showed up claiming to be him that weren't. There's a list here behind me. I'm not going to read that. But he keeps going. So don't be deceived, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but still the end is to come. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of birth pains. So the background of this is this, he's, he's a prophet now, he's, he's putting on his prophet hat and he's speaking about the future, so about 40 years in, and he's speaking about other things too, we'll, we'll talk about this. There was a massive war in the year 66 to 70 AD called the Jewish, um, the Jewish Wars. And this was when the rebellion started in Jerusalem, they wanted to get rid of the Roman occupation and Rome responded by engaging in this massive war. Okay, um, we'll get into the details of that war, but this is fascinating. Josephus, again, this historian guy, he was writing about one of these nights where there was just intense fighting happening. And it was a really big point in the war is how he describes it. For in the course of the night, a terrible storm broke out. The winds blew, a hurricane, fell in rain fell in torrents, lightning was continuous, accompanied by fearful thunderclaps and extraordinary rumblings of an earthquake in the middle of this war, okay? So again, when Jesus said these things, like some of these things literally happened just a few decades later, a literal earthquake in the midst of this war, all right? Hold on to these things. We're moving forward here. In verse nine, he says this, but then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of this increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. I don't have time to parse every single little word here in, these, in this whole long chapter. But if you read the book of Acts, so much of these things are there. Mass persecution, right? Um, the gospel did go to at least most of the known world. So there was some fulfillment of this, okay? And that the whole Roman Empire, the gospel had spread from east to west over the whole Roman Empire. In their minds, that was kind of the whole world. But it didn't fully happen. And we'll get to that in a minute. Let's keep pressing forward. So in verse 15. So when you see standing, this is when stuff gets very interesting. All right, I hope you guys are awake now. When you see standing in the holy place, the holy place, the temple, okay? Think of the, the holy of holies. This was a place behind the big thick curtain inside of the temple where it was said that the very presence of God was. So thick that you could feel his presence just by getting near this place. Right, that's the holy of holies. When you see standing in the holy of place, 
the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Are you reading this? Okay, that's the message to you. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For there then will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles, even to deceive the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. That's the prophet Jesus telling them ahead of time. Let's, let's talk about this. This is where stuff gets really just so fascinating. Centuries before, we're talking many centuries before all of this, there was a man named the prophet, the prophet Daniel. And in chapter 9 of his book, verses 26 through 27, you can read it um, in your own time, he prophesied about something called the abomination that causes desolation. So what in the world was he referring to? Um, in the midst of this, it is told, um, Jesus tells this and refers to this, uh, surrounded by all these images of just this horrible war, an event that is coming. So let's talk about this Jewish war, because most of you probably haven't read a book about this or know much about it. But between uh, years 66 and 70 AD, 1.1 million Jews were slaughtered by the Romans. That's what Josephus tells us. 97,000 taken as prisoners. This is not some small war. This is a kind of forgotten history that people don't talk about. This was, the conditions in, in Jerusalem became so bad as they were being invaded that there's stories of, of cannibalism that took place with the people that remained because there's just no food. There's no water. I mean, things that you've never heard of before, you read what happened, it is shocking and it is horrible just the conditions um, that occurred inside of Jerusalem in that day. Even um, to, to, to kind of tell the victory of this, there's actually a picture behind me. There's a, still an arch in the city of Rome that still stands that when the Romans finished their work, um, they destroyed the temple. Uh, they built this arch in celebration and they actually show in the picture behind me here, there's some Jewish people in um, cuffs is slaves being taken out as they're holding the menorah that the Romans pillaged from the temple itself. And this is a victory arch. I saw it with my own eyes. You can still go and see that today. And interesting, because of Jesus' prophecy, the Christians in Jerusalem, they heard the Romans were coming. What do they do? They actually got out of the city. So there wasn't really many Christian uh, casualties here because they all left as Jesus told them to do, like get out of town. And they actually did. But listen, what is this abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of, okay, that he spoke of? What, what is he referring to? So if you were alive in, in the day of Jesus and you heard him say that the abomination of desolation to be looking out for it, here's what your mind would have went to. You would have said, that already happened, okay? That already happened. That happened about 200 years before 
Okay, so a whole different time in history when the Macedonians invaded Israel and went into the temple. Okay, and they set up statues by beneath a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. They put statues of Zeus everywhere and, and, and turned basically the inside of God's temple into a literal brothel with prostitutes. Like it was horrible. Sacrificed a pig on the altar. And that's the story of where Hanukkah comes from. If you want to read about Hanukkah, that's the origins of what happened. You can, again, read that in your own time. But universally, everyone just assumed that this abomination of desolation, meaning that they desolated and desecrated the very temple of God, well, that happened like 200 years ago. So is it happening again? Like, how does that work, Jesus? It already happened. Are you telling me that there's a prophecy that can be fulfilled twice? This is interesting. Are you guys interested? I'm curious. I love this stuff. But this will really help you guys navigate these complex uh, questions and Bible passages. So can a Bible prophecy have two fulfillments? All right, let's move on. Jesus was correct in that the temple again was ransacked by the Romans. The very generals themselves just marched right to the Holy of Holies. And then they literally burnt the temple down and destroyed the whole thing. Bible prophecy fulfilled twice. Hold on to that. We're going to keep moving. Verse 26. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. In other words, during these heightened times, if he, they hear of, you know, oh, he's back, he's here, he's there. He's like, it's not going to be like a secret when Jesus comes back. Like, there's a guy in Brazil for like 40 years that's been like, I am Jesus. And I just learned about that last week. Like, you can, it's really kind of interesting and funny. But it's not going to be a secret like that. Like some dude buried in the Amazon that's saying he's Jesus. Like everybody is going to be like, okay, he's back. Like, no question. Here he is. Everybody, just like when the lightning booms and flashes, you're not going to be like, oh, is that thunder? No, that's thunder, right? That's how he's saying this. It's going to be very obvious. So don't be deceived by people who, who say things like, I am the Christ, and et cetera, and so forth. But then he gets into this interesting verse here, verse 29. And in the Bible, you have quotation marks here. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Well, there's no historical uh, parallel to that, right? <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. We know that for sure. That hasn't happened yet. And so there's, there's so much in this passage of things that were already happening mixed in with, well, we're still waiting for this, right? We're still waiting for this. The sun darkening, the moon not giving light, stars falling from the sky, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with a great glory, gathering his elect from one end to the other. And he quotes something from Isaiah chapter 13, okay, a prophet who lived about 700 years before Christ. 
That quote from Isaiah 13 is this that Jesus was alluding to. It reads, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger. The day of the Lord is a phrase for all this, right? To make that land a desolation. That land is referring to Babylon. Hold on to that. To make the land of Babylon a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. From the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. So this passage was in Christ's kind of imagination almost in his mind as he was referring to it about what is to come. But interesting, when Isaiah wrote this in chapter 13 of his book, you can read it. Verse 1 of that chapter says, an oracle concerning Babylon. That was Babylon. Even more ancient empire, okay? An even more ancient empire that is, was by far gone way before even the Romans and even way before Christ. But Isaiah was speaking as if that was towards Babylon. And then Jesus is saying, no, this is about something in the future. But he's also talking about these events in Jerusalem. So now you're probably really confused. Like, which one is it? My mind is swirling and my mind is spinning and I'm really confused. Well, let's walk through this. I, I invented this, by the way. I'm really not, I don't know if I'm proud of it or not. But I invented this. I think I showed this to you guys a couple of years ago. Um, I call it the prophecy sandwich. Anybody hungry is suddenly looking at their clock saying, now I want a sandwich. So how long is this sermon? So the slide behind me, here's how we walk through this. The teaching is about to be over here. When we read biblical prophecy, and again, there's a lot of teachers out there. I'm trying to help you guys and equip you to navigate the scriptures on your own and not be dependent on some of these like YouTube preacher people, okay? So prophecy has usually multiple layers, just like a sandwich, Okay. There's the original audience who Matthew 24 was written to. This was written to somebody, okay? And there's a fulfillment then. And then there's like a future audience. Maybe it's even us. Maybe it was a church a thousand years ago, whatever. Every generation that reads the Bible, there can be also partial fulfillments. But all of this is really leading up to the final fulfillment, which is really the final day of the Lord when he returns. It makes all things new which is definitely happening one day, okay? But there's like multiple layers. It all kind of looks forward and looks forward and, until it really finally happens. And this is how Daniel's prophecy of this, you know, desecrating of the temple, this abomination that causes desolation, it, that's why that could be fulfilled once with the Macedonians, again with the Romans, I don't know, again in the future, right? And this is what opens up with these prophecies, all right? So again, we're trying to equip you guys here. This is what you need to know, that prophecy in the Bible when it comes to this idea of the day of the Lord or the end of the ages, okay? Multiple fulfillments all throughout biblical history, and I would even argue even in modern history, in the past 2,000 years since Christ left this earth, there's been cycles of fulfillment, but one day it's going to lead to its final fulfillment. He is really pointing us all, and this, if you look at it in this way, he is pointing us all to the devastation of wars on this earth, natural disasters. They all have happened. They are, are happening. And there's still signs. Like these are still signs that the day of the Lord indeed is coming. That a final war and judgment will occur in this world. But what did Jesus say? Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. 
It's just the beginning of a long labor of the final judgment that is coming. So think of world history as a woman, okay? She's very pregnant with the judgment of God against this world. And when one day he will make all things right when Christ returns. And so whenever we see wars and famines, and, 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 and we'll get into more of these signs in a minute, imagine these as like contractions, okay? They're contractions. And you know when you, I mean, I don't know, but I was with a woman who had contractions, and I watched in pity, right, as I held her hand and drank my soda or whatever. When you see those contractions, like, you know, oh, like, it's coming. The baby's about to come, right? Definitely about to come. Like, there's, it's not going to be in there forever. Like, it's going to get out of there, right? And there's gonna, we're going to be holding a baby soon. There's contractions happening. And one day, one generation will experience the final contractions, and the judgment of God will enter into this world. In the Bible, okay, when Jesus stole this prophecy that was kind of given towards the empire of Babylon, Babylon kind of became a symbol. Like when Isaiah in his vision saw Babylon being judged, it's almost like mixed in with the world ending, right? In this one and in the same vision. And so really like over time, the image of Babylon became a symbol in the New Testament, it became a symbol of all the evil in the world. So I want you to just conjure up. When you think of evil in this world, what comes to your mind? When you think of oppression in this world, what comes to your mind? Evil and oppressive systems and nations who go out and, and oppress others. All the wickedness and sin in the world. Just If you just threw it all together in one heap, just think about what those things are and then put the name Babylon on it. That's what the New Testament authors started doing. Even Peter, writing from Rome, said, you know, he used in Babylon, sends you greetings. Babylon was way gone in Peter's day, but he was writing from Rome. Rome was Babylon for the early church because, man, they were wicked people. They were Babylon. They were something that God needed to judge and to bring down. The book Revelation has chapters devoted to this judgment of Babylon. Again, in the biblical imagination, this was Rome, but more so, all throughout human history. When we identify evil and oppression and wickedness, it could rightly be called Babylon. I would even go on because of the spiritual work that's been in this world for so many thousands of years. It's all kind of the same Babylon, just re, you know, kind of manifesting itself from one generation to the next. But one day this Babylon is going to fall, friends. One day this Babylon will be judged and brought down to nothing. Revelation 18, one through three. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. <coughs> and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So whenever we hear of wars in history, rumors of wars, oppressive nations fighting one another, we're still waiting for that day of the Lord and we're still saying, Lord, bring this Babylon to a close and end this and make all things new, Lord. 
That's the great and final day of the Lord. So, so um, it's like when these events happen and the Babylons and the Romes of the world and they rise and they fall, it's like we're watching many movie trailers that just point signs toward the final time when these things are just taken out of the world and thrown into the lake of fire itself. All right, you guys with me so far? That's the end of teaching, okay? So I'm taking the teaching hat off and putting the pastor hat on, okay? We're gonna move on to the pastoral part. Verse six, I wanna remind you what Jesus said. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Have we heard of wars and rumors of wars as of recent? Are we hearing rumors of more wars? Yes. See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but still the end, the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. That's our first point. Do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. The day of the Lord is coming, but don't find yourself fretting over every single international war, stressing out over it, being anxious about world events. I don't think we need to be obsessed about those things. Pay attention to them. Be aware, of course, but don't be alarmed by them. This is the words of Jesus himself. Neuroscientists have actually pointed out that stress and worry releases like dopamine in our brains, like a negative version of it. But people can actually become addicted to being stressed out and being anxious, right? They can become addicted to that. This is why scary movies are entertaining because fear in and of itself, it sells, right? It, it sells. And I think many Christians, maybe even some of you in this room, if we are not careful, we can become addicted to watching out for these signs. Become addicted to it in an unhealthy way to where we ourselves become alarmed. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Don't do this. Don't be alarmed. To not be alarmed means that when everything looks like it is crumbling around us, and maybe it legitimately is, if world events get really bad and there's some really crazy things happening in our world, Jesus still says, look at me, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. This is an important key here that we need to keep in mind. Every single generation of the church has faced their Babylon. I'll say it one more time. Every single generation of the church has looked Babylon right in the eyes. Every single generation. And every single generation, when they see the evils of what the Babylon in their world looks like in their time and day, they really think, this is, it's never been this bad before. And maybe that was true at that time, right? There's a fascinating time in the year 1414, okay, in a nation called Bohemia, think the Czech Republic today. Um, the church was extremely corrupt, like drunk with wealth, just drunk with power, drunk with sexual immorality. Um, it was horrible. And this preacher named um, Jan Hus or John Hus uh, in Bohemia, he, he preached against this corruption, said like, we got to repent. This is so bad. Repent and preach the gospel again, the good news of Jesus. And what did the church do in response? They arrested him and burned him at the stake. Okay. So the people that were kind of like following his teachings and was also calling the church to account, what did they do? 
To quote one of their leaders, they said, the time of greatest suffering prophesied by Christ in his scriptures, the apostles in the letters, the prophets and St. John in the apocalypse, it's now at hand. It has begun. It stands at the gate. They were called the Taborists. They gathered on top of a mountain close by. They put on robes and they waited. They said, this must be it, Lord. It's so awful. There's no answers except your return. Come, Lord Jesus. And I could tell you dozens of more stories like that in church history. In fact, I found this in our, um, in our church here called the Signs of the Times. I don't know if it's from ancient, our ancient history. It's from 1910. And it's all about how World War I is the end of the world. Now, if you were alive during World War I, some of you may have been. I don't know. I'm just kidding. That was a long time ago. Sorry. That, was, that just kind of came out. Things that you think you shouldn't say out loud. Um... If you were alive in that time, you probably would have thought, this is it. Like, this is crazy. Tens of millions dead. Just wait until World War II, right? <laughs> Hundreds of millions at that point, right? And on and on this goes. But what does Jesus say? Do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. I'm going to share a little secret with you. There's a lot of alarmist preachers out there. There's a lot of money to be made in alarmist preaching and writing books. Did you know that the Left Behind books sold 80 million copies? A guy wrote a book in 1987 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Happening in 88. Didn't happen. 4.5 million copies sold. I'm just kind of, people are addicted to this stuff. And maybe some of these alarmist preachers out there, maybe they're cashing in. I'm not accusing them. I don't know. I'm just stating a fact. There's money to be made in this, okay? Feeding people's fears and anxieties. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. He's saying, don't be alarmed. Like, don't be freaked out. Just stop. This stuff happens, and one day it's going to happen, but you're my children. Don't be alarmed. Don't be scared. Don't be freaked out. He continues on in verse 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all of these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass until all of these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Yes, these are confusing words from Jesus in which you can read people give a million thousand opinions about we know clearly he hasn't returned. That generation has passed. He hasn't returned. But the destruction of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem in the temple, that did happen. That generation definitely saw the destruction of the temple. Just like that olive tree turning, signaling a change of seasons is coming. They knew these things were coming. Some of it came true. But still that prophetic outlook says some of it we're still waiting for. And he addresses the soul waiting for peace next in verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what, what would happen until the flood came and took them away. Okay? That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field. One will be taken, just like those in the flood taken in the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, just like those taken by the flood, in the other left, just like Noah was left. So here, if you go to, um, you know, uh, uh, YouTube or whatever, Google this, you know, 
endless amount of people saying, here are indisputable facts that Jesus is coming back now. Like indisputable facts. You can't even question it. He is coming back now. And you just have to like read this and say, well, we see signs, but are we going to speak that firmly here? Jesus said, don't speak that confidently here. Like, nobody knows the day or the hour. No, 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 indisputable facts is coming, right? Uh, I always laugh when the people are like, yeah, we don't know the day or the hour, but God revealed to me the month and the year. And it's like, come on, don't mince with words, you know? You don't know, okay? He said you're not going to know. And look at the, the flood reference, okay? Some poor souls planned their wedding day when there was a flood that destroyed the whole world. They didn't know. They, their wedding day was that morning. And boom, the flood came. And Jesus says, it's going to be so surprising that people will have their wedding day planned when Jesus returns because you're, you're not going to be expecting it. It's going to be so shocking and surprising. It'll be like in a normal work day in the field. And just like people were taken from the flood, one of those people will also be taken in judgment, right? And that's kind of the irony of this, if we're honest, is a lot of this end of the world kind of preaching that we can, that people get anxious and, and kind of caught up in. Um, it, the irony of it is it, makes people feel like expectant, like it's happening now. And Jesus said, no, it's, this will be happening in an unexpected way, an unexpected time. And how that works when we, there's signs and he'll be returning in an unexpected time, like there's tension, of course there's tension, but Jesus, the master teacher, gives us that tension and says, look out, don't be alarmed, but then the second piece, be ready. Because my coming will be unexpected. Don't be alarmed at all the stuff happening in the world, but I need you to be ready. I need you to be ready. In verse 42, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So friends, ignore anybody who says they do. They don't. There's a reason why the, the book that of 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Coming Back in 1988, we don't publish that book anymore, Right? But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So point number two, be watch, keep watch and be ready. Be ready. This is where we're going to end today. Be ready. Do you know how we're going to be ready? I could keep this... So many passages right after this that Jesus kind of speaks into this. We, we got to stop at some point. It could be our generation. It could be a thousand years from now. We, did, we, don't, we don't know, okay? We watch out for signs, but we are ready. There is one thing, and this is when, there's one thing that we must always be doing, which the irony, more irony of this is sometimes these end times teachings distracts us from the th other things that Jesus said we should be doing. That all the while, if we do the things we should be doing, we're going to be very prepared if this is the last generation. What is that? How, what do we do? Well, there's so many ways to talk about this, so many passages all over the New Testament, littered everywhere. I'm going to focus on one, on 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, when Paul addresses this, about what it means to be ready. Okay, here we go. On the slide behind us. This is how one should regard us. He's speaking of, of uh, him and the other apostles and leaders as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, which in many ways is all of us. All of us. We're all servants of Christ, and you steward the good news of Jesus and the power of his spirit. You steward that message. 
and you share it with others. Verse two, moreover, is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Read it one more time. It is required of stewards that they what? Be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted as the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his condemnation from God. What is he saying? He's saying that day is coming, and let's not get ahead of ourselves and get like stuck in things that belong to that day. What belongs to this day? That you're faithful. That you're faithful. That if Christ comes, there was this there was this passage where it's almost like you see the emotions of Christ wrapped up in this when he is preaching about these very things that are different part in the Gospel of Luke in verse eighteen or chapter eighteen, and he tells this parable. And when he ends the parable, he says, "When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth?" Will he find his people faithful when the Son of Man appears in the clouds and is coming on the clouds of heaven? Or will he find you distracted about the things of this world? There's a passage right after that prophecy of the fall of Babylon, and I think it's verse 5, when, when the angel says to God's people, it says, come out of Babylon. Like, get out of there. If Babylon is present around you, all the evils and wickedness and things like, is your life like scarred and marked by the ways of Babylon? If so, the time is now to get that out of you. Say, Holy Spirit, help me. Pull these things out that belong to the evil one. I want to walk and be faithful in your ways and walk in your power with ears listening to your guiding words. I don't want Babylon in me, Lord. I want to be found faithful that right now if he comes, he will find me crying out for him, hungry, desiring for him, even in my imperfections. It was just sung earlier because they come, Lord Jesus, and we're, we're ready because we're faithful. Jesus died for you and he loves you. He loved you so much even unto death. His spirit is in you now to renew you and to give you new life and our salvation belongs to him. And in light of all of this that we've talked about today, the call always remains the same. Be found faithful, friends. Be found faithful. Don't be alarmed and be ready. Let me pray. Lord, even as I preach these things, as we sung earlier, we want you to return to make all things right. Lord, the end of this book closes with, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray that, we sing that, we, we cry it out, Lord, come. But Lord, would you help keep us faithful until that day, Lord, that we may be true lights unto you, Lord. That when people just meet us and get to know us as a church and they rub shoulders with us, that they're rubbing shoulders with, with your light, Lord. With your goodness, with your love, with your power, with your faithfulness, Lord, inside of our lives and hearts. That they see and hear it in us, Lord. 
Lord, help us to just yearn for that. Just be so hungry for that, Lord. Lord, you said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It may be filled. Lord, keep us hungry, Lord, that we may, may be found faithful on that day, Lord. Yes, Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.